0: It is good to be here this morning. It's good to look out and see a a good crowd of smiling people. Appreciate our visitors coming our way. Thank you for braving the traffic to be here. I know it's a little rough out there. Um, uh, We very much appreciate you all being here. It is our aim to serve God as he has instructed us to do so in the New Testament. This group here um, strives to do that to simply hold to the teachings that we find in scripture and to add nothing to nor take any way, take anything away from. So that is our aim. We appreciate the, the service up to this point. Thank you men for the good and um, able job that everyone has done. We appreciate things being done orderly and for the exhortation and the building up of this body. I wanna talk this morning about a subject that um, you may have heard some lessons on in the past, and you may have some questions about uh, some things from Scripture. But I want to talk this morning about angels. And let's, let's ask ourselves a few questions as we get going here about angels. What are angels? Uh, the Bible has um, a lot of references to angels. We don't have a terrible amount of description of them, but we do have some. But let's talk this morning about a few things. Let's ask our question, what are angels? Well, let's understand this first, that they are created beings, that they are created by God. And they are created by God to serve his purpose. And when we think about angels, let's understand that that's what they are. They have been created by God, and they have been created to, to serve his purpose, to carry out his will. That is their main purpose. Um... They have a certain rank in the kingdom, the scripture tells us, and we're going to look at that this morning. Another thing about them, there's a lot of confusion about them, and we're not going to solve everything this morning. Our lessons, the purpose of our lesson this morning is to give us a, a brief uh, delving into this subject and look at a few things, but we're not going to uh, solve everything this morning, but we are going to look at some things that are that are confusing about them, that man has come along and, and misinterpreted and twisted and, and misapplied things concerning angels. But most of all, what we should understand about angels and the, the easiest thing about them is that they are ministering spirits. We're going to use this as the guideline for what we talk about for the rest of the morning. And we're going to circle back to this at the end of our lesson. And as I like to do, as those who you know me well enough to know, we take on a subject, we, we break it down into various pieces, and we examine it, um, rightly so, rightly dividing the things that, that are there. But at the end, we've got to put it all back together. And hopefully in such a way that we see it a little bit more clearly. And so that's what I hope will happen with this lesson this morning. Angels are ministering spirits. Let's first start this morning talking about uh, some myths about angels. And let's tackle this one right out of the gate. Let's tackle the idea about a guardian angel. Look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 18. I encourage you to follow along. Those visiting with us, follow along in your Bibles. Um, Again, it is my uh, duty to... To preach and teach from the Bible and to, not to give you my think so, but to give you what the Bible says. And so that is my aim this morning. So I would encourage you to follow along and make sure that I am indeed holding to that standard. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, our Lord says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of the Father who is in heaven. Now this scripture, I will admit is a little difficult to understand, in understanding uh, the, the more the functionality of it than what Je- Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is talking about the innocence of children, and he's talking about um, don't despise these children uh, because in heaven, it says that their angels continually behold the face of the Father who is in heaven. There's a, a, a pureness and an innocence that Jesus is expressing here. What Jesus is not talking about is guardian angels, because if he were, we'd have to go somewhere else or, or this would have to be further developed here in what Jesus is talking about to tell us about guardian angels. And I will submit to you there's no place in Scripture that we can go to find that. In the fact that we have the, the misconception that there, that there are angels that look after us, that, that, that hold over us and, and keep us out of harm's way. Scripture just doesn't bear that out. Look over in Acts chapter 12 for just a moment. In Acts chapter 12, we have, and we're going to come back to Acts chapter 12 a little later on and talk about this. There's two angels that we're going to talk about here in Acts chapter 12. The first one we're actually going to take is verse 15. The event that is taking place here is, uh, as Peter was put in prison, an angel came to him, released him from prison, and now he's coming to try to, to enter someone's house. He's knocking at the gate, Uh, A girl comes and says, uh, won't let him in. He says that it is indeed Peter. She goes back and says it's Peter to the rest of them. Verse 15, and they said to her, you are out of your mind. Because they thought Peter had been put in prison and probably been put to death. Because James had just been put to death. So they kind of figured that Peter was also probably dead. You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting, saying so. She said, this is Peter. This is, he's knocking at the gate. And they kept saying, it is his angel. Now, let's put a couple things together here. One, understand that Scripture here is quoting someone else. So we have to be very careful about applying uh, the Word of God to quoted text, or or quoting someone in a conversation. We have to be very careful about that. We can't hang our hat on saying, look, there's... There's Peter. He has an angel. Well, this is, this is the Jews, the Jewish Christians, who, um, quite frankly, are holding on to an old superstition of theirs about this very idea that they all had angels that looked after them. But again, we don't see that. Um, what we see instead is, we'll, we'll go back to our angels are ministering spirits. We don't see them as guardian angels. And the reason I will give you that is how do we account for their failure? If Peter had a guardian angel, why isn't Peter still with us? We talked about in our Bible class this morning, secular history tells us that, Jesus, that Peter was put to death. Secular history says that he was crucified. Where was his guardian angel when all that was taking place? You see, this, this concept of guardian angels is a, is a false one. Angels don't function in that way. Angels are ministering spirits, and they do serve a very important function. And they do look after Christians, I'll say that. But this idea of each one having a guarding angel that looks over us is just not exactly right. Let's talk about another uh, fallacy that we see in Scripture, and that is the worshipping of angels. Turn to Colossians, the second chapter, Colossians chapter 2. You know, there's some misplacement that happens uh, of people worshiping things that they ought not to be worshiping. And this is one of those where Paul calls that out as he's writing to the Colossians. In verse uh, 8, beginning of chapter 2, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And we're not going to read all of this passage, but what he's talking about here is, don't be led astray by traditions of men, by false teachers, by anything that is not from the Lord. If you look down in verse 16, it says, Therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or of festival or new moon or Sabbath day. These which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on the vision that he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from which the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grow with a growth which is from God. He's telling them, Don't, you ought not to be engaged in, in worship of anything other than God, not even angels. Angels are not even to be worshipped because, again, as we've talked about, they're created beings by God, and they're sent out to do his purpose, but they're not to be worshipped. John himself runs afoul of this in in his revelation. Uh, We won't look at those passages for the sake of time, but um, going against what I just said earlier, to make sure you turn to these passages and make sure what I'm saying is true. Um, In both of these accounts, and turn there if you'd like, please. Uh, John, is, as he's given this revelation, uh, he in both of these accounts, he falls down at the feet of the angel and, and worships and attempts to worship the angel. And in both instances, the angel says, get up. I'm not to be worshipped. You worship God. So sometimes we can kind of fall into this trap of, of misplacing our worship and thinking that angels, while they are created beings, that they hold some kind of authority or, or, or prestige that God has not given to them. They're simply ministering spirits. There's something else that we can kind of throw in this as we're talking about um, there's a lot of misconception about when we die then we, we get our angels wings, right? First of all, angels are never spoken of as having wings. There are cherubim and seraphim that are spoken of in scripture, the, above, the cherubim above uh, the mercy seat of the ark, and what would be later built in the temple. They have wings, and the seraphim have wings. Angels are never mentioned as having wings. And there's a misconception that, that when we uh, die, we become angels. Well, that's, as we'll see here in just a little bit, that's not according to the rank that God has for us in the kingdom. Men don't become angels. However, angels do appear in the, in the form of men. Sometimes angels come in such an appearance that people fall down at their feet, like as John was, who we talked about with John over there in Revelation. Sometimes they just appear as men. In the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, they, the two angels that came there, they were spoken of as just men. They're also talked of as angels. But that's a misconception about men becoming angels. We'll, we'll clear that up a little bit further as we go along. And we'll talk about it right now as we talk about the rank of angels, the order in the kingdom. And let's understand first that, as we mentioned from the beginning, God created the angels. These are his spirits, his ministering spirits. They're sent out to do his will. And so what's obvious at the beginning is that these angels rank below God and below Jesus in the kingdom. Look over in Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6. By the way, this chapter 1 here we're going to be coming back and forth to this quite a bit. If you want I describe this as a one-stop shop in these places in scripture, this is this is where you come to really understand about angels in my opinion at least for one place. Now, as we know, there's lots of other places we can go, but this is a good place to come if you really want to get a synopsis and an under, a firm understanding of, about angels. In chapter 1, and verse 6 of Hebrews, it says, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and he's speaking here of Jesus, And let all the angels of God worship him. Hear that again. Let all the angels of God worship him. That helps us to understand the rank of angels. They're not above God, of course. They're not even above Jesus. It says, let all the angels of God worship him. We understand that. That's pretty easy for us to understand. What about how um, angels rank when it comes to men? First, hold your finger there at Hebrews, but go for just a second over to 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, uh, as created beings, as um, God has the power and the authority and the, and the sovereignty to do what he wishes, he's made angels in such a way. Ch- uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, whereas, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. And He's, he's speaking there of, of the angels and the interactions that they have and, and what happens with them in accusing men of things. But he says, he says there that uh, they are greater in might and power. So as far as their power and, and might goes, they are greater than man because they have that power. And if you think about how they can manifest themselves and the things that God sends them to do, that makes sense to us, that they do have great power when God gives that to them. But back over in Hebrews, now in chapter 2, um, there's a little bit deeper understanding about where man and angels rank. In verses 5 through 8, the Hebrew writer, as he's laying out, continuing to talk about angels and laying this out, he says, "...for he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking." And then he's going to go on to quote here from Psalm 8, where David is saying, "...what is man that thou rememberest him, or the son of man, that thou art concerned about him?" Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor and has appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection to his feet, under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Now, in understanding this, um, David in the psalm here, which is what the Hebrew writer is quoting from, is talking about the earth that was prepared for man. If you go back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, when man is created, it says there that all things are put in subjection to him. The birds of the air, the fish, the animals, all... The things of the world are put in subjection to man. That was the the ideal in the creation of man. And so as he's quoting from this, he says, he's made him a little while lower than the angels and crowned him with glory, but... um, Thou hast put all things under his feet so even though the angels in this ranking we, we see them as he says made for a little while lower than the angels and of course he's gonna go on to make that that argument about Jesus Christ and understanding his relationship to man but the idea here is that God created the world he created everything for man he didn't create it for angels And so while we see that they're powerful and they have a a responsibility and and a cause to carry out God's command and to do his will, the world was created for us. Jesus Christ was sacrificed for us. He wasn't sacrificed for the angels. So in this ranking of the angels, it's maybe a little hard to understand about man, but understand this, that Christ died for us. And the angels are ministering spirits that help us achieve salvation. And we're going to develop that a little bit more as we go. Now notice also a couple of things about angels. Over in Jude, verse 6, there is punishment when the angels are disobedient to God. So it helps us to understand that these created beings, they make some decisions of their own. And they can go against God's will, even though he had created them to, to do his will, it appears from scripture that they can, they can go against God. In Jude, verse 6, it says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. You see, they're subject to uh, punishment for not doing God's will. If we look over there in 2 Peter 2, In verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So he's, he's saying here that when angels sin, they're punished for it. That punishment is meted out. So that helps us to understand where angels rank. And understand that they are expected to do God's will, and they're punished when they don't. So let's talk now, our final points here, about the work of angels. What is it exactly that they do? And, and we know from Scripture um, the main thing that angels do is they are messengers. In fact, that's the word that we trans, uh, transpose as angels comes from the word messenger. That's typically um, their duty and their job. They are messengers. We read there from... Uh, Luke chapter 1, Brad read as we um, began our worship this morning, uh, about the angel Gabriel and and his work as a messenger. If you want to look there in Luke chapter 1, um, we read the second part of that. <coughs> in Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 18, and Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. This is the proclamation about the birth of John. John the Baptist. Verse 19 says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you, to bring you the good news. So here is the messenger. Here's the messenger Gabriel. And he's bringing the word to Zacharias about the impending birth of their son him and Elizabeth's son who would be called John and then Gabriel is going to over in verse 26 now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man who was named Joseph and heard the the descendants of David the virgin's name was Mary and he's going to make proclamation to Mary about the birth of their son and his name was to be called Jesus so that most functioning part of angels we see is their messengers They're bringing the message of God to people. Look over in Acts chapter 10. We have another accounting here of uh, a messenger being sent. In Acts chapter 10, this is the story of Cornelius, about this devout man who gave alms and prayed to God. And in verse 3, it says, About the ninth hour of the day, in chapter 10 of Acts, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come to him and said to him, Cornelius. And they go on and tell about this man named Peter, send to Joppa for Peter, and he's going to come and tell you something. Now what's interesting about this particular one is that the angel is the messenger uh, sent to Cornelius, but Peter's the one that's going to tell him about the gospel. So you see, there's sometimes when the messenger tells the will of God, but there's sometimes... That the angel just is is part of the message, but the message is really going to be coming from man. Coming from the apostles. Coming from those who teach and carry forth the tradition of God. And that helps us to understand how the gospel continues to go forth in our day and age. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 12, Peter talks about the, uh, about, um, the message being delivered to people and how they were writing down the will of God. And he says there at the end of verse 12, things in which angels wish to look. You see, in, in understanding about angels, as, as we've mentioned, they're there to carry out the will of God, but they don't know all of the will of God. Because they're, it says there they were curious about these things that these men were writing about the coming Messiah. That helps us to understand a little bit more about angels as well. They They are messengers. They're bringing the message. They are bringing to people what God tells them to. Angels are also uh, assistants. There are a couple of times when um, some of the apostles were thrown in jail. And we have the angels being very integral in helping them get out of jail. We mentioned there in Acts chapter 12, we, mentioned, we, we saw there about Peter being thrown in jail and how the angel came and, and was able to uh, release him from jail. That's one of those things that angels do. They assist in carrying out God's will. They assist in, uh, and by doing so, by freeing these apostles from prison, the gospel message continues to go forth. Think what, have happened, what would have happened if these apostles would have been left in prison. The gospel message would have been shut down. But it would have been squashed well, what do the angels do they, took them out, they take them out of prison so that they can continue the work of spreading the gospel they're carrying out God's will and that brings us back to this idea of ministering spirits look over in Matthew chapter 4 Matthew here's a recording of the temptation of, of our Lord After he's been baptized there, the end of of chapter 3, it says in the beginning of chapter 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We know that Satan's going to come to him and tempt him three times, and and Jesus is going to withstand the temptation. Um, If you look down there in verse 11 of Matthew 4, it says, The devil left him, and behold, angels came to him and began to minister to him. Here's the work, another work of the angels. What are they doing? Jesus had fasted. He was tired. He was hungry. And it says that the angels came and they began minister to he, ministering to him. So here we have the function. We have messengers. We have assistants. They, they're taking people out of jail They're bringing people the good news and their messages about certain things. And here we have ministers, uh, angels ministering to our Lord, helping him in his uh, time of need. And that really uh, helps us to understand about our final point here and what we come back to is the idea that angels are ministering spirits. In Hebrews 1 and verse 14, it says about angels, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? I talked earlier about The one-stop shop. Where where can we go? I want the the cliff notes on angels. This is the cliff verse. If you want to know about angels in the simplest form, I would encourage you to think about what this verse says. The Hebrew writer is saying there about angels, are they not all ministering spirits? What does minister mean? It means to to give aid to, uh, to help he says, they're a spirits. And what, are they, what do they do? They're sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So everything that we have talked about to this point, render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Think about Gabriel announcing to uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph about the, child's, the children that they were about to bring into the world. What does that mean? That means that... The Son of God was about to be born into the world. Is that not uh, service for the sake of us and our salvation? What about the, those helping out the Lord after he's tempted uh, and, and he's tired and he's hungry and the angels come and minister to him? Are they not rendering service on our behalf eventually? Because our Lord needed that, that time and they were there and they were rendering service? What about those who, the apostles that were thrown into jail? What, what happens for the sake of our uh, inheritance of salvation if those apostles were not let out of jail? Put all that together and more. <laughs> Believe me, we've only scratched the surface, but think about all the things that the angels have done throughout scripture, throughout time. And what does it all come down to? It all comes down to our salvation leave you with this passage from 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. This is what angels are helping to accomplish. They are sent out to render service for those who would inherit salvation. This is the salvation that we are inheriting. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and tainted of imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven. That's the work of the angels. It's to ensure that we have that inheritance. Their work up till now has been for that cause. To make sure that those of us who believe in God, those of us who have put on Christ, and those of us who are yearning to do so, that's the work of angels. To make sure that we have that, uh, that God's will is being carried out To make sure that we do indeed have that inheritance that God has promised to us. That's the work of angels. They are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. We've only scratched the surface about angels, but I hope that that this will help you to um, appreciate in the simplest terms what angels do. They are sent out to render service for those of us who will inherit salvation. We have such an amazing inheritance awaiting us if we are faithful to God. It's the inheritance of eternal life. God has promised it to us. All of the things that he has done, all the way back to the promise to Abraham about the nation and the land and through your seed, all nations will be blessed. All the way back to there, God has promised us a wonderful inheritance. But it's only available to His children. It's only available to those who have come to know Him, have heard the Word, have believed in the Word, have repented, understand that they need to make a change in their life. And they have confessed that indeed Jesus Christ has come to earth, and he is the son of God, and he died for our sins. If you believe that and you've made that change in your life and you've confessed who Jesus Christ is, you're ready to be baptized. And in baptism, you go down into the waters and you wash away the sins. You put to death the old man, the old woman of sin, and you come up out of those waters a new creature, ready to walk in newness of life. And then from then on, it is up to us to walk in the light, to remain as children of light, to remain as children of God. I would encourage you and plead with you to make the necessary changes in your life to make sure that you are a child of God. If as a child of God you are throwing away your inheritance by living a life that you shouldn't be living, or you have sin in your life that you need to confess of, I would encourage you to confess that make that right. Whatever you might need, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you. This world is not one more.
1: My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't be left home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just up in glory land with we'll the eternal. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Please be seated.
0: Our dear sister has come forward and has uh, uh, asked for the prayers of the congregation. It is always a a humbling and um, trying experience when we see our sisters, our brothers and sisters um, struggling. It's also an encouraging time to see them realize that they need the prayers of the congregation. Our sister has come forward and, and has expressed that she has been married twice. We know that her husband passed away not very long ago. But she has told me that she was not in a scriptural marriage in, the second, in her second marriage. And she has asked for the prayers of the congregation. And brethren, I will encourage you to pray for her. It's a very difficult thing. It's a very troubling thing. It calls into question so much about our own faith and the faith that we've had over the years. But I am so encouraged and uplifted by the fact that she has come forward and expressed this it's an encouragement to me, and I hope it's an encouragement to you as well. That none of us are, are beyond the troubles in this life, and we all have things to deal with. I'll ask that you pray for her. I'll ask that you reach out and encourage and strengthen her as she has asked for just that. Russ, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to word us in a prayer. And then after that... Would you close us in a word of prayer? We have uh, so much that tells us about loving each other, about loving the brethren. And this is such a, uh, a good example of why that is so important. Make sure we reach out. Make sure that we pray. Make sure that we express our love. Make sure that we do indeed love our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. And continue to pray.